Okay, well, good evening and welcome to another episode of Take the Two. Now, certainly had a quite an interesting week of football last week, didn't we, Tom? Yeah, big week last week. Uh, a lot of movers and shakers in the competition and things are starting to take shape. So, yeah, it's getting exciting and almost at the halfway point now. So it'll be really interesting to see how things go from here. Yeah, exactly, man. After waiting so long for it to you know, return after COVID, yeah, we're almost already halfway through. So the time has flown. We'll, we'll just get right into it starting with Thursday night. So, I mean, North Queensland Cowboys and the Sydney Roosters, I mean, they're at opposite ends of the ladder. We know the Roosters obviously lost that, that thriller against the Storm, but they certainly certainly wasn't their own fault in many ways for losing it. Well, I mean, un- unless you're Jake Friend with that, you know, I guess rather silly penalty to give away in, goal, in, a, in golden point when all you need is one point. Obviously, the Storm got the penalty goal to win, but th- this one is pretty much the Roosters all around, isn't it, Tom? Yeah, 100%. I think you pretty much nailed it with that game last Friday night. What a game to watch. And Melbourne just pipped them at the post there. But, you know, the Roosters, we know what they are and what they're about. But there's a lot of mystery surrounding the Cowboys, especially with that change with Val Holmes now dropping onto the wing uh, with Tabuai Fido into fullback. It's now looking like Val Holmes might miss the game altogether with injury with a bit of early mail coming through. So perhaps that played a factor in the, um, in the decision. But... I think the Cowboys find themselves in an interesting spot with the Val decision in that I think they're in a very similar spot to where the Broncos are at the moment with Corey Oates, with Corey Oates wants to play in the second row, but he's probably a better winger. Val Holmes wants to play fullback, again, probably a better winger. So it's going to be interesting to see how they manage that moving forward, but I think the Roosters should win and win easy here. And Are we looking again to their main man, James Tedesco, for a big one? I think Ryan Hall could also have a good game coming in for uh, Daniel Tupo there. Obviously going to play a very different style of game for Tupo, but you know, plenty of runs for him, and I'm sure um, he'll be racking up the stats by the end of the game. Yeah, well, I was going to touch on Ryan Hall as well. You know, I mean, certainly we know that Tupo is out with that syndesmosis injury, so that's at least at least six weeks or so where Hall has a chance to, you know, stake his claim. Obviously, you know, you'd, you'd expect Tupo to come straight back into the side, but again, you never know. So it's a good uh, good chance for the for the Englishman to, I guess. Get some of the get some of the critics off his back and and show show basically show them that he's capable of playing at this level consistently. So, but yeah, Cowboys. I mean, look. I mean, we know any side with Tamalolo, they'll he'll trouble them in the forwards a bit. But really, one man isn't gonna isn't gonna trouble a a Roosters side that is pretty much class all round. So we move on to Friday. Now we got probably. Maybe a more interesting game than people might give it credit for with the Titans and the Warriors to start things off now. I mean, the Titans did, I guess they were beaten quite comprehensively by the Sharks in the end, but I mean, a lot of that really only came in the second half. I know the post-game Holbrook was pretty impressed with how they played in the first half. Obviously, they couldn't do it in the second. Then you look at the Warriors, who they did get the win against the Broncos. Uh, I mean, and this is... This is quite an interesting game to watch. We have Tremaine Spry is going to make his NRL debut. The Quite an interesting centre combo with both Furmore and Bryce Cartwright for the Titans. Then you look at the Warriors, they do welcome back to Vasashek. It's a bit of a tough one to pick, isn't it, Tom? Yeah, I'd probably lean towards the Warriors here just based on what we saw last week against the Broncos. But I think Corey Thompson played really well against the Sharks. Um, I think the move back to fullback will suit him. Obviously, uh, more in the centres now. I thought he brought a lot to their attack last week. I think he had one or two line breaks as well, but just defensively, there's going to be problems there. Obviously, you've got 
some pretty classy centers for the Warriors and on the wing as well. You've got guys like Fuzatua, Mamalo, Peter Hiku, um, and for more, he looked a little bit shaky in defense. Obviously, Bryce Cartwright, we know what issues he, he's had in the past. Uh, at hooker, I think it's good to see Aaron Clark back. We spoke about him a few weeks ago, but the Titans just need to get back on those winning ways. You know, I think they've lost their last 10 games at, at home, so it'd be interesting to see if they can break the curse. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, there's certainly a couple changes for both sides. I mean, Sam Stone will play his first foot in a while, but Warriors fans are certainly pleased to see Jazz Tavanga back. It's been, what, he was injured, injured, I think played a game or two, got injured again, and, you know, he's very much in that mould of, it, it's, it's very much like that Cam McInnes mould, is yes, they're a hooker, but you put them a lock and they'll just run all day, and that'll certainly be an added boost for, certainly for their running game moving forward. Yeah, definitely. It'd be interesting to see how Torhu Harris gets managed with that as well. We know we've seen him play a little bit of middle, a little bit on the edge. So with Tavanga coming in, we might see him drift out a little bit more, and especially targeting those centres and sort of the fragility on the edges for the Titans. So that could be a, uh, one area to watch this week. Yeah, it will be. Certainly quite a quite, not, not a bad start to the Friday. So our second game will be the Bunnies and the Tigers. And obviously, you know, again, this, this will be quite an interesting game. We know that the Bunnies had a... They did win against the Dogs, albeit probably not as convincingly as many people would have anticipated the Tigers had a I thought a pretty I guess a almost a defensive sort of slobber knocker sort of game against the Panthers probably I guess maybe a bit too much Penrith class in the end got them over the line over the Tigers but it, it, it's you know certainly a game to look out for I mean we know that Joey Leilua is suspended after his uh I guess clothesline on Dylan Edwards right at the end of that game so there's Michael Cheekham coming into the centres was that is that the the path that you would have gone down as a Tigers fan, Tom, or was someone like Chris Lawrence or even a, a Reese Hoffman who I saw during the week was a possibility there? Yeah, I actually thought Reese Hoffman might get the run, or uh, as a bit of a left field option, I thought we might see Benji come back in in the centres and play in a very similar role to what Moses Zembai is playing. But they've opted for Cheekam. Look, Cheekam, great player. I love him as a player, and you know just that extra agility when it comes to running at the line can really trouble a defense as we saw twice last year as he won the games against against Souths at Bankwest last year um and as well the game against the, the Broncos up at Suncorp but a guy I'll be watching this week is Ollie Clark obviously the Tigers with a few injuries in that forward pack guys like Zane Musgrove out who really bring that that aggression to the pack that they probably could have used against guys like Fisher Harris last week obviously Souths got a pretty strong pack in Tom Burgess, Tavita Totola and Cam Murray so be really up to guys like Clark and Eisenhut to really step up in the place of probably their more fancied um, counterparts there in Twal and Musgrove. But I think it'll be a close game. These are the sort of games that the Tigers often just get up for. They've got a good record in past few years over Souths. Um, a couple of wins when probably weren't expected, including that one last year at Bank West. Uh, for Souths, they're obviously Braden Burns out with that uh, season-ending knee injury, which is a bit of a blow for them. But They've got a ready-made replacement in James Roberts sorting straight in. And Campbell Graham, as we've said in the past, has really um, worked into that centre role. So strong back five for them. Uh, it'll just come down to defence again this week, I think. And I think both teams can score points, but can they hold the other out? That's the question. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we certainly have quite an interesting battle of the fullbacks as well in this one. Obviously, Adam Dewey, who was probably, I guess, probably a left-field choice to start the resumption of the season. But he certainly seems to have settled into that role quite well given that he can, you know, can cover the halves and lock as well. So it's very much that that sort of old school sort of, you know, ball playing fullback. Um, and then you look at Mitchell, who is much the same, obviously, from his time in the centres. 
sort of who are who's tracking better overall, do you reckon, at the moment, Tom? Obviously, we know Latrell's had a, a couple of inconsistencies, but when he's when he's when he's on, he's been on. Sort of where where do you see them both at at this point in the season, given they are quite new to the fullback role overall? Yeah, I think it's difficult to compare them because they're quite different players, but also they both entered the seasons with very different expectations. Obviously, Adam Dewey, as you said, maybe wasn't expected to jump into fullback so quickly. And Latrell, obviously, the expectations on him from the media and from South fans and everyone in the NRL was just enormous. I think Dewey has lived up to his expectations so far. I think he's been solid and consistent. You probably can't say the same for Latrell, but, I mean, on his day, you know, if you compare Latrell's best to Adam Dewey's best, Latrell's going to take the cake in that one. But it's it's going to be a tight one. I think that uh, both fullbacks could definitely have a massive role to play. And someone else I just wanted to touch on quickly as well uh, on the bench for the Tigers is Sam McIntyre. I think that uh, he's really developed into a, a strong starting 17 player for the Tigers. He probably came in and we thought, okay, here's another sort of fringe second rower. But he's really come in and brought that aggression that's been missing from the Tigers. And I think that that's why he keeps getting picked every week. He had a head knock either last week or the week before, but back again this week. And I think he'll be really important up against some of the bigger forwards on the South bench. Yeah, should be quite a quite a good way to finish off the, the, the doubleheader on Friday. But our first game on Saturday is the Sharks and the Panthers. And obviously, we, as we just touched on earlier, both sides did get the win. Sharks had the big one, big win against the Titans. Panthers had the, I guess, the harder fought contest against the Panthers. People, I guess, people are probably inclined to jump all in on the Panthers on this one. But the Sharks are that team that just on their day they can they can do pretty much anything. And obviously, it looks like Sean Johnson has found his mojo again. We know they've got no no Matt Moylan. He's succumbed to yet another hamstring injury. It seems like he comes back every two weeks and, and suffers it again. Uh, but the interesting move for me is Bryson Goodwin back into the centres. I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I saw Bryson Goodwin play at centre, so that's going to be interesting for them. And from a Penrith perspective, no Brian Toto is a big loss considering just how well he's played, isn't it, Tom? Yeah, definitely. I think Goodwin will bring what the Sharks need in the centre position. I think he's a solid defender, got good ball-playing ability. I think that they've got so much strike out wide with guys like Katoa and Muatalo that all they need is just someone really solid in the centre position. I think that Bryson Goodwin will bring that. And then on the other side, yeah, as you said, Toto, massive loss. I guess it's lucky for them that they've got Nate ready to step in there, I guess in a similar sort of position to South with James Roberts that just got ready-made replacements. be interesting to see whether Nate lines up on the wing or in centre. Him and Stephen Crichton, I think, probably would have been interchangeable there. A guy that was interesting to see probably left out, I was uh, expecting to see Nate McDonald possibly come in instead of Muatalo. I know Muatalo started the season there and had a pretty good start to the year, but just think that extra size from Nene McDonald is really valuable. Uh, we've all seen it over the years at the Dragons and then up at the Cowboys before he suffered that horrific leg injury last year, what he can do. Another guy I was really keen on last week, I thought Royce Hunt played really well for the Sharks. I think he's it's almost amazing how similar he plays to Andrew Fafida. So they even look the same, got the same strapping on the, on the same leg. So it's um, interesting to see how he gets managed by uh, John Morris there. I think you might almost see him and... Uh, Andrew Fafita straight swap with Hamon Ueli and Aaron Woods doing the other swap in the front row. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's certainly not a, not a bad way to you know start your career. You scored that try, just you know typical typical prop try, just barge over. But you look good. I mean, it's certainly you know you, you'd probably give the Panthers the edge in this one, I guess, given because you know they are in the position in the position that they're in. They've been performing reasonably well, but it certainly certainly won't be the cakewalk 
if any fans are expecting a cakewalk, given that the Sharks, when when they've performed, they've looked pretty good, especially in attack with, with Johnson running down that right side. Yeah, definitely. I'd be backing in the Sharks with the start here. I think Penrith will still win it, but Cronulla can keep it close. But I just think Matt Moylan is a bigger loss than most people think. Obviously, he hasn't quite lived up to the expectations over the years, but I just think his extra ball-playing ability over Josh Dugan is really valuable. So I think he's definitely going to be someone that they'll miss this week. Yeah, I mean, certainly. I mean, it's, it's we, we all know what Matt Moylan can do, whether it's our fullback or 5'8", but yeah, the poor guy just keeps coming to those hamstring injuries and... I guess it makes you wonder how long he has to stay out for to try and, much like Tommy Turbo, who's in a similar vein with his hamstrings, you know, just how long do these guys need to have out and not play in order to get it 100% because they just keep coming back and the injuries just keep happening again. So the second game on Saturday, now we've got the Bulldogs and the Broncos. Now, look, I mean, I think it's, I guess you can say that it's been a pretty bad year for both of these sides. I guess the Bulldogs, maybe we sort of, not that we expected it, but, you know, they're sort of, they're in a bit of a rebuild and I guess, you know, that phase where they're, they're you know, trying to see who are they going to keep, who are they going to let go. But, I mean, if you had told someone that after, after eight rounds of a season that we were going to see the Broncos literally dwindling at the bottom of the ladder, coach under pressure, you know, players sort of rumoured disgruntledness left, right and centre, you would have been, you would have been laughed at, wouldn't you, Tom? Yeah, 100%. Imagine telling someone at the start of the year that Broncos v Bulldogs was going to be the battle for the spoon after after eight rounds. It's just insane. But it'd be an interesting one this week. I think the Broncos can finally get on the board. But, I mean, we've been saying that for the last three weeks against the Titans and the Warriors as well. So, who knows? I think it'd be really interesting to see how Luke Thompson plays for the Bulldogs. Obviously, a lot of hype around him coming over. I guess it has a very similar vein to, I compare it to John Bateman coming over. And I think he can make a really immediate impact for the club. Brisbane, it'll be interesting to see whether Katoni Staggs comes back in. Obviously, he's coming off that injury layoff, but if he does come in, it'll be interesting to see who who makes way. Obviously, I think most Broncos fans now would pro- probably say Darius Boyd should be the one to go. But obviously, Herbie Farnworth and Jermaine Asako also options there. But I think Brisbane aiming for uh, to avoid their seventh straight loss for the first time since something like 2005. So it'll be interesting to see if they can do it. And I think this game is probably going to be one in the Fords. Yeah, I mean, look, I think this is probably, I mean, if it was me, like, you know, obviously it's not, but I think this is probably the sort of game that you'd want, obviously, presuming Katoni Sag comes back in, you probably want to keep Darius around only because of his experience. Otherwise, I mean, you're going to be running with a very, although I guess kind of Milford and Croft have a bit of experience overall, but you're going to be running with pretty much a, a very young, inexperienced backline overall, just in terms of, you know, what they can bring to the table, sort of how, how they've been performing and, and, and whatnot. So, you know, I guess Darius Boyd probably hasn't hasn't had the best season himself, but I guess having him there probably, he can just be like a, you know, a leader for those young guys. And yeah, Luke Thompson, as you said, I mean, he was with a part of St. Helens side that, that went all the way and, and won the Super League and was one of their best players. And obviously, you know, certainly you only had to see the comments from St. Helens fans when, when the move was initially announced, obviously, not anticipating it was going to come over early and you know they, they were just raving about him and saying that if, if there was going to be one current prop there that was going to make an impact in the NRL it was going to be Thompson. Yeah definitely I think obviously the Bulldogs need something to inspire them in attack with no Hopawato there I know um, Darcy McDonald friend of the show and Bulldogs fanatic she was pretty keen to see Marcelo Montoya back in last week and I think he made a good immediate impact obviously scored that try and I think he's the sort of player that they really need to inject into that back line as I said with no Hopawato there 
to give them that little bit of spark because uh, they've really been struggling on the attack this year. Yeah, they need something. But, yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, spoon bowl, probably not the spoon bowl we were expecting. But, look, it's a chance for, uh, chance for either team to get their momentum going. And I guess anything is possible from there. So our final game on Saturday should be a good one. I mean, you know, Raiders and Storm are traditionally pretty good games. I guess the Raiders have probably had the, the not not the rub with the green, but the, I guess the consistency over the Storm in recent times. You know, we touched on the Storm earlier. They got that narrow win. You know, they sort of, I thought Jerome Hughes was, again, against what is arguably the best side in the competition in the Roosters, thought Jerome Hughes, particularly with no Cameron Munster, really stepped up to the plate, scored that double, thought one of his tries with the, you know, the right, right foot, left foot back inside, sort of just, you know, I mean, only 10 metres out, but still, you know, caught the that Roosters defence off guard. And then, yeah, this Raiders side, look, they got the win against the Dragons. I guess wasn't really convincing, but it was a win nevertheless. But it, it's probably hard to go past a storm in this one, isn't it, Tom? Even even though the Raiders have, you know, performed well against them in the past. Yeah, definitely, I think. It's funny to look at this game because the last clash between these sides immediately after the COVID resumption, we saw the Raiders come out firing. They were in a bit of form and the Storm was sort of in, in a bit of a slump. And I think how things have turned now, you know, the Raiders over the last few weeks probably haven't been playing at their best, even though they got that win against the Dragons last week. It was um, it was unconvincing to say the least. But I think Melbourne now, they're on a bit of a roll, obviously beat the Roosters. I think one crucial loss for them would be Stuiasi Punavalu out with that hamstring injury. I wouldn't be surprised to see Paul Momorowski slot in on the wing. He's been named in the centres with Seve on the wing, but I think we might see a, a late game day swap because Momorowski played pretty well on the wing uh, last year for the Tigers. And then uh, the Raiders, obviously, a number of injuries in the forwards, and I think that's just going to be uh, what's going to be the toughest for them to overcome. Joe Tarpany back at lock, which is good to see, but I think guys like Sia Soliola and Emre Gula, with them both out, a lot of the onus now falls straight on Josh Papali. And, I mean, it's a lot for one man to carry. Yeah, I mean, look, you don't like, certainly don't like to see injuries for any team. But, yeah, the Raiders, I mean, that's what, now three or four guys, obviously, we know Horsberg had that list, Frank's injury and is out for the season. So, just, yeah, it just seems to be one forward injury after the other for them. And, you know, when, when you've got to run with a bench that essentially has, what, a winger, a utility man. I mean, Harvilli, I guess, can, much like in that McInnes mould, they're, they're smaller, but they can run all day and, and slot in at lock. But it's probably not... Uh, not that aggressor sort of guy that you want to have come into your side and I mean and really take it to a storm pack that has looked pretty good. You know, Bromwich, for all the criticism that he gets, he's been pretty solid. Then you have the the likes of, you know, good old Tino Fa'asu Fa Maliawi and, and uh so Asafa Solomona coming in. So it's a big ask for this Raiders pack to I guess try and overpower what has been a pretty consistent storm forward pack since the resumption, Tom. Yeah, definitely. It'd be interesting to see how a guy like Kai O'Donnell goes off the bench. Obviously, challenges don't get much bigger straight up than a firing Melbourne Storm pack. And obviously, it'd be interesting to see what Melbourne do with Cameron Smith as well, whether he sorts back into that halfback role with Riley Jacks dropping out again or whether he stays. I'd probably like to see him stay, to be honest. Um, I just think that what he brings in defence is just as important as what he brings on the attack. And Riley Jacks is a good player, a good runner of the ball. And I think he matches up really well with guys like Jack White and George Williams. It should be a very interesting clash, but yeah, I think it's just probably too much for the Raiders with a, you know, I guess a second string forward pack with the reserves that they've got, as, as, as bad as that sounds, to overpower the Storm. Yeah, just but, on that as well, it'd be interesting to see uh, whether Cam Munster comes back in, been named in the reserves. 
Um, a lot of media been hyping around him today as you know a medical miracle coming back so early. So I can't imagine uh, Craig Bellamy would be overly keen to risk him this week, but um, obviously big game. So it'd be interesting to see whether he comes back this week. They've got the Titans next week. So, you know, before this sort of run, you probably thought that uh, he might get left out until after that Titans game. But who knows, he might get injected this week. Yeah, I did say that. I mean, look, I mean, probably probably makes sense just to let him let him get 100% right and then just, you know, come back after that Titans game, fit as a fiddle and, and ready to go. But, you know, Craig Bellamy is, is up there with the masters of the mind game. So, you know, he, he might pull a late Swifty on everyone and come come game day, there's, or I guess 24 hours before game day, there's Cam Munster. So just got to wait and see. So on Sunday, we have quite a, I guess, probably quite a good game to start us off. We have the Newcastle Knights and the Parramatta Eels. Now, look, we all know that the Eels essentially obliterated the Cowboys in every facet. I mean, Mike Sivo is absolutely carving up. He scored four tries on the weekend, linking up well with Gutherson and Dylan Brown on that left edge. Uh, and, you know, look, I mean, the Eels just keep, they're just, you know, they're rolling along. Sort of every player is doing their part. Jai Field was pretty impressive in his, his debut as well, scored that try off the Wunga Blake tip. Tip, uh, you know, pat back, tap back, and they're rolling on all cylinders. I mean, as an Eels fan, I've, I'm probably the guy that's impressed me the most all season is, and I was probably a bit of a critic of his when he came in, given, I guess, how badly he finished at Penrith. Obviously, he said that he wanted a fresh start and felt like that's what he needed. But I mean, Regan Campbell Gillard has been in tremendous form, particularly the last four to five weeks. I think he's got, he's averaging something like 180, 190 meters per game, which you know, particularly for a prop when you consider that, I guess they play fewer minutes. That's the mentality. It's certainly, it's a very impressive sort of run of form for him. I mean, obviously, you know, I hope he continues it alongside Junior Paula, who, I mean, you wouldn't think that a guy that weighs 120 kilos can play 60 odd minutes every week, but he does it with some added ball skills to boot. But look, it's not going to be easy against a night side that, you know, they, I guess they defended brilliantly in that last 11 minutes against Manly when they were down to, I thought, 15 men or 14 men or whatever it was. So that was some effort. Obviously, a bit of doubt over Ponga and the concussion. Where do you see this one going, Tom? Is it a narrow one for the Eels or or can the Knights get up? Yeah, I'll probably lead towards the Eels in this one, especially with Nathan Brown coming back from suspension that lock. Um, I think we've mentioned it in the past, but Nia Corey has been good this year. But Nathan Brown just brings that extra bit of experience, a bit of class into the side. Um, obviously, uh, as a Tigers fan, uh, my eyes are all on Stefano Tukamano on the bench. Hopefully he doesn't backflip on that deal is all I can say. But, yeah, you mentioned Regan Campbell-Gillard. For me, it's been uh, the Junior Polo show. Just watching it from the outside as a, as a, as a neutral, obviously 15 hit-ups a game. He's got something like over 500 post-contact metres this season, which is just insane. As you said, those minutes are just crazy. He's been racking up the stats. Dry field, I thought, yeah, he was good last week. I'd like to see him uh, ball play a little bit more. He ride on that running game, and as you would naturally with so much uh, speed. But... If he can feed Madison a little bit more ball this week, it might just free up those outside uh, players in Wonga Blake and Blake Ferguson and give them a little bit more space. Obviously, uh, there's a lot of concern about could Dylan Brown really run the show, and I think last week really um, eradicated those concerns. I thought he was outstanding last week. And and then on the other side, yeah, Newcastle were probably, in a way, a little bit lucky to get away with that win. We're playing at their best, I don't think. Manly obviously stood up pretty well as well, but I think, and a lot's been spoken about it in the super coach community, but... I'd be really interested to see Kalen Ponga start to float back to that left-hand side as well. I think they've had Kurt Mann running the show down there, but if Kalen Ponga can uh, start running both sides of the field again, 
that really opens up some space for Bradman Best and Heimel Hunt. Um, we know how good Bradman Best was in those first two weeks and hasn't shown us a lot since. So it'd be interesting to see what he can do there. But I think the four pack will just be too much. Um, but it's going to be a good one. Uh, two good packs, potent back lines. Just fingers crossed, Caelan Pong can get on the field for Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, I guess, it, look, I mean, yeah, no Caelan Pong for the Knights. And I mean, that's, I mean, we know they've got Mitch Pierce, Kurt Mann's been in great form, but. Yeah, I mean, you, you give any time Ponga plays, you certainly give the Knights a chance, no matter who their opposition are. But I think, look, one one Eels player, oh, another Eels player I want to touch on, it's probably Clint Gutherson. Now, I guess when Mitchell Moses went down with that, that calf injury, people probably, I guess they did immediately think, oh, yeah, it's going to be Dylan Brown that's going to have to step up and, you know, a lot of pressure on, on a young man's shoulders and, and whatnot, but... I mean, I think ever since since the resumption, you know, we're seeing that, you know, every team has that player that is sort of just, he just breathes your club's colours, he's a heart and soul. And, I mean, Clint Gutherson has really become that guy for the Eels. Like, I mean, he was down that left side, he was literally, you know, throwing bullet-like passes for Sevo and, you know, and linking up well. And I, I think he's he's become the fullback that I guess you probably wouldn't, you, you would never put him in the same vein as, you know, Tedesco or Ponga or Tuvasa Shek or... You know Tommy Tommy Turbo just because you know we, we know that how good they are, but I think for this team where the Eels are currently, Clint Gutherson is a perfect fit because he knows obviously when Moses comes back he knows right you take a step back you do that sort of stuff so he knows where he fits he knows his role and obviously with no Moses his role was to get more involved and I mean and that's exactly what he did and he literally carved it up. Yeah, I think you nailed it last week in saying that it might be a positive for the Eels with having Moses out just for a few weeks. I think. Gutho's been pretty quiet to start the season, but really exploded the last two weeks. And I think it might have just been the, the little motivator that he needed to really kickstart his season. And obviously, Decevo's been outstanding on that wing. So if they can get that right side going without Moses, and then when Moses comes back, the Eels are really a shot uh, for the Premiership later in the season. Yeah, I mean, shit. I hope so. Long time coming. I mean, I, 2009 was... or well, 2001 and 2009, but it's been a long time. But look, time will tell, won't it? But... Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how you Tokamanu plays. I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, when when you have props that can play big minutes, I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess he might still get at least 20 minutes, maybe 15, 20 minutes, just depends on the rotation. But, you know, I mean, the, the ball's in his court. You know, this is a chance to show Tigers fans like yourself, Tom, that, you know, he's up, he's ready and up to this sort of level, given how different it is from, from reserve grade. But... It, He's certainly got the talent to do it. It's just a question of whether he's got the application and the, the mental strength to sort of do it consistently. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, seeing as he signed that contract, you can see why the Eels probably haven't wanted to blood him as much as they, they could have this season. But I think he could be a really important part of the Eels Premiership push this year. I think at you know 191 centimetres, 115 kilos, he could really be a bit of a, a, a dynamic player they can just bring on with 10, 15 minutes to go really spark things. Um, and yeah, I think he could definitely play a role moving forward. Yeah, good kid to have. I mean, Ch- Kafusi looked pretty good before that broken hand. I mean, mind you, we didn't even know he had a broken hand until the Eels announced it yesterday, much like Ray Stone, but they both have broken hands. So obviously that's prompted Yutoka Manu's debut to come in. But yeah, it should be, should be good to see how he goes. I mean, obviously, you know, we talk a lot about sort of Eels fans, I guess we're disappointed that he made that decision and everything. And, you know, it's obviously prompted probably why he hasn't played, but it's his chance to shine, and I guess he's got to take it with both hands. Yeah, 100%. So the final game of the round, now we have the Dragons and the Seagulls. We just, you know, we touched on them both a bit earlier. 
Dragons obviously had that narrow loss against the Raiders, but they, look, they didn't look too bad in the process. Manly, obviously, I guess that's been, you know, there's been been a couple of stories post-game about, you know, was that push from Best on Funa a penalty at the death? And obviously the whole Adam Fanua Blake, sin, oh, yeah, sin, essentially sin-binning or send-off or whatever, you know, whatever someone wants to call it at the end for that abuse towards Grant Atkins and then the second spate of potential abuse that he dished out towards Atkins. He's out for two weeks at the moment. I guess it's a question of whether the NRL decide to clamp down further because they deem that Fanua Blake breached the anti-vilification clause or, or you know ruling that they've got within the game. Obviously, not having him there is a big loss, so a lot rests on the shoulders of Marty Tapao, Jake Trebojevic to, I guess, really get that forward momentum and, and spark that, that forward pack in general. But for the Dragons, probably the most interesting point is we've got Ben Hunt just starting a hooker, not coming off the bench, and Cam McInnes at lock. Is that is that the right move, Tom, for the Dragons to start Benny Hunt at hooker straight away, or is it, or, or is it easier for them if he comes off the bench just for their dynamics? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I probably like him coming off the bench initially. I can see the merit in having him uh, at hooker, though. Obviously, it enables that four-forward bench, which is probably something that Mary McGregor would like to have just to give him that extra bit of depth and go forward later on in the game. I think uh, Philly Mayono will probably benefit from the, the time of the bench, come on as a bit of an impact player, similar to what we were just speaking about with the Toy Kamado. But uh, it's interesting to see Jason Saab out of the side. Obviously, Jordan Pereira is a pretty similar player, um, quite you know tall, uh, a little bit bulkier. And then on the other side, uh, Manly. It's just it's just a bit of a shame to see because they're such a talented side, but the wheels are just starting to fall off a little bit just with all these injuries and suspensions starting to add up. One guy I thought was uh, pretty impressive last week was Cade Cust off the bench. I thought he really came on, sparked that attack. I think he had to try there in the second half, but... Obviously, they were a little bit unlucky at the end, but uh, no excuse for Fenua Blake. And it's almost like Fenua Blake saw what Mary Leo always did and said, uh, well, you want to do the most stupid thing in the league this week and not so fast, I'm going to do it. So, um, yeah, shame for them. I would be surprised if we see him um, go away for a couple more weeks. And chances now there for guys like uh, Taniel Pasica, Morgan Boyle, Sean Kepi, uh, Jake Kaczewski. They really need to step up and, you know, Young guys all need a, uh, they're all being given a chance now. And this could be sort of the springboard that they take for the rest of their careers. So, you know, good chance for them. Yeah, I mean, that's it, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's I thought just on Morgan Ball, I mean, I, don't, I mean, he's played a few games this year. I don't think he's looked too bad, obviously. You know, he's he's probably that fifth or sixth guy in your rotations. So obviously, when, when you're at full strength, he drops back. But it's just a good chance for him to, you know, continue to press the envelope and, and maybe even, you know, nab that bench spot moving forward, it should it open up. I mean, just on Jason Sabi touched on, I mean, look, we we know that the reports have been around for a while that he wants to release and he's not happy at the Dragons and he was promised, allegedly promised more football by McGregor but didn't get it. But I'll be honest, I mean, the the, the two or three weeks he was in there, he probably, probably didn't do a lot. I mean, certainly for a guy that I guess is is pushing a coach to really play first grade consistently. He probably didn't show too much to say, yeah, you need to pick me over over Pereira or Ravalawa or whoever it is. And I guess this is pro- this decision is probably indicative of that, that, you know, McGregor's probably looked at him and thought, right, you probably haven't done as much as you could. So Pereira just comes straight back in. 
yeah, Jordan Pereira is a good player in his own right, I think. But Jason Starves in the atta- uh, in the team to attack, and really he didn't do that, as you said. And you know, a lot of their play last week, uh, I was writing a report for NRL News, and I was watching it closely. A lot of their attack was flowing straight through Ewan Aitken and Zach Lomax. There was just no ball being given to the outside wingers, with the exception of one line break near the end for Ravalawa. But it's an interesting one. I do give the Dragons a hope in this one. Obviously, they've got a really good record uh, in recent times against Manly. They've won four of their last five against them. Manly falling off the cliff a little bit. The Dragons, uh, they'll be boosted with Tarek Sims back. I'd really love to see Corbin Sims actually get that bench spot over Trent Merrin. I just think he adds a little bit more go for it to the attack. Obviously, uh, Mary McGregor opting for probably the solid player in Trent, Mellon, uh, Trent Merrin. But yeah, it'd be an interesting one. And I think this one could be kept pretty close. Yeah, I mean, it certainly rounds off quite quite a good week of games. There's certainly plenty to play for. You know, some teams looking, obviously looking to get away from spoon territory and others just looking to cement their spots. So we've got plenty to look forward to in round nine. Yeah, definitely. And I think over the last few weeks, we've had a lot of games that have looked very one-sided before kickoff. I think that this week's very different. I think that with the exception of one or two games, pretty much uh, every team's in with a shot this week. Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess that... You know, as much as people say that the games are one-sided, I think the fact that, you know, most teams have a chance of beating most other teams tells you that regardless of how well they've adapted to the rules or not, you can still pretty, you can pretty much, not guarantee, but there's always a very good chance that, that any team can win on any given day. Now, as always, we'll just touch on some news that has happened, over, oh, I guess, in the last week, and there's always, always plenty. Uh, look, the first one is it probably, it's interesting to me because I thought, I mean, he obviously was there when Thurston was with the Cowboys as well and, you know, would slot in when, when Morgan or Thurston went down. He is a, naturally a back rower or lock, you know, that sort of old-school ball-playing lock. But there's been some reports that John Asiata is head out of the Cowboys. I mean, as I said, this this one probably surprised me when I read it. I think it was pretty much like almost on the Monday or last Monday or Tuesday even. And, yeah, I mean... He's a guy. I, I thought he's always done pretty well for the, for, you know, for the Cowboys filling in, sort of, you know, he, he's that extra ball player in the forward pack that, you know, I guess most sides do crave. Is that a surprise for you, Tom? Yeah, it is a little bit actually. I think John Asiata, as you said, just such a versatile player. We don't think there's many players in the league that could play prop one week and then line up at halfback the next, but he's definitely one of them, and we've seen him do that in the past. But I think now we've seen with these new rule changes and what's been spoken about it, but. Uh, ball playing forwards are just so valuable for a side now to get the ruck moving around and guys like Jake Trebojevic, Victor Radley, Cam Murray, you know, over the last few years and especially this year have been so important to their sides. And I think Asiata could bring that back. Obviously, he's had a bit of a rough trot with injury sort of over the last year and a half, two years and into at the moment. But um, I think it'd be interesting to see how the Cowboys use him as he comes back. And I'm sure there's plenty of teams that'll be sniffing around if he, if he wants out. Yeah, I mean, certainly, obviously, I guess it's hard to come in at lock given Tamalolo is there, but I guess you could you could easily just slot him in, I guess, in re- to replace Shane Wright once he's you know injury free and and you know ready to go in the back row and sort of just maybe even just given that, given that we know how versatile he is and and how how much of a good ball player he is, just give him sort of like a I guess a roaming role, particularly in attack at least, and sort of see if that just adds and if that brings an added dimension to what is at the moment a very inconsistent Cowboys attack. Yeah, he just seems to be a team player, happy to sort into any role he gets given. And he's got that premiership experience, which we know is so valuable. You know, 
I was sitting in an interview with Michael Maguire on Triple M a few weeks ago, and he's just he was talking about just bringing players to the club that know what's required to win a premiership. And I think that he could be one of those guys. And as I said, I think there'll be plenty of teams sniffing around if, if they get the chance. Yes, yeah, certainly wouldn't be a bad buy at all. Uh, Anthony Don, now obviously, you know, he's a, I guess, not not much maligned figure, but there certainly has his detractors and everything. But, you know, the guy just keep, somehow keeps, or not somehow, he scores tries for fun for the Titans, whether they're winning or losing. I think he's he's now past David Mead or close to David Mead or, you know, for the most, most tries scored by a, a Titans player. There's some talk that he'll re-sign for 2021. Is that a good move for the Titans, Tom? Yeah, I think it is, to be honest. Obviously, he's been a great servant for the club for such a long time. You know, coming up to sort of 150 games now, scoring you know, in the range of 80, 80 tries. I, I think he's always been such a solid player for them. And as you said, it doesn't matter if they're winning or they're losing. If Anthony Don's out there, the Titans are a chance of scoring points. He's a player that, you know, one week he might, you know, be pretty quiet. And the next week he goes off for three or four tries, uh, seemingly out of nowhere. Great aerial threat as well. We saw that in the game earlier this year against the Tigers. Um, completely destroyed Robert Jennings there. And I think that the Titans are really struggling for stability. I was who we were seeing for more and Cartwright coming into the centers this week. Peachy's floating around. Um, some other guys being given a chance in there this year. So I think Anthony Don, with him on the wing, Corey Thompson at fullback, Phil Sammy on the other wing, that's a good back three to have and always gets the set started really well, which is so important, as we know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, I mean, I think, you know, I guess in a, in a time where people do are not criticised, but you know they say, oh, there's no loyalty, none of this. You know, Anthony Don is the guy. I mean, look, it's probably probably surprised many. I mean, he was obviously a late, you know, a late starter. I think he was what 24, 24, 25, or even something like that when he st- when he actually made his first grade debut, even twenty six, even. So he's certainly done well to become the mainstay that he has, and you know, and any team that can have a finisher like Don, because that's what he is, obviously on the wing, you want to be a good finisher, and. He just seems to be able to do that no matter how badly or how well the Titans are playing. So I think if they re-sign him, it's only a boost for them. Whether he plays is another question, but it's certainly not a bad option to have either starting or coming in as your your backup winger in case you get injuries. Yeah, and 100% with what a young guy's coming through, he could be a really great mentor as well and be a really important role for the, the club's culture. Yeah, exactly. And certainly, you know, his, 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 as you said, his, his experience will be invaluable. And I guess, you know, when you are when you are a new team with a new coach, obviously Holbrook being new to the NRL sort of game, you want to have those guys that can can at least mentor the younger players, like you know, like Tremaine Spry is coming through, and even a couple of other kids that they've got. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see how he fits into Holbrook's side moving forward. Probably, I guess this the next bit is going to be the first of probably the two most interesting, I guess, sort of points that we've seen this past or news sort of tidbits we've seen this past week, starting with Alex Johnston who. I guess, depending on the reports that you believe, he's going to be forced out of Red, out of out of Redfern, out of out of the Rabbitohs because of salary cap issues. I mean, I guess this is probably an interesting one to me. So, so I've always, you know, I find Alex Johnson is kind of in this. Fans have two schools of thought. You have the one school of thought that think, yeah, he's a fullback only, you know, because he's a he's quick, he's elusive, he's a good runner of the ball. Then you have the camp that say he's a winger only because he's a finisher, lacks the ball skills to, I guess, to really be a the modern-day fullback. Where Where is his best position, Tom, and is it a surprise to you that the Rabbitohs, I guess, have to have to forcibly get rid of him because of the cap? Yeah, as for his best position, I think it is probably fullback, but I don't fall into either one of those two camps solely. I think that 
really you can put him at fullback, centre or wing and he's, he's a threat just with his speed. I think I understand why the Rabbitohs are trying to get rid of him. Obviously, he's such a good player, just not enough room for him. And I think in the end, he's such a similar player to Latrell Mitchell. Obviously, probably just not as strong as Latrell and Latrell's not as quick as AJ, but I think both of them bring something very similar to the club, probably relatively similar ball-playing ability. Probably, you'd say, Latrell has some, you know, the more talent. Alex Johnson arguably more consistent over the years, but I think he's going to be another one of those guys that if he hits the free market, he's going to be one of the big signings of the next offseason. I think, you know, you could put him at any club and he'd fit straight in at either that fullback or wing position. I know the Tigers have been talking about him. I think he's probably pretty similar signing to Adam Dewey in the fact, obviously, both coming out of that South system, but sort of those outside back utilities that, you know, bring a little bit of ball playing, a bit of speed. I, I'm not surprised to see him leave South, but uh, I think he will good in any outfit. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see where he goes. I mean, if he does go, like, obviously, we know things can change, but it certainly looks like he's on the outer at the moment. And we're going to move on to, I guess, this has been a story that has been going on for, oh, even before the start of this season, David Fafita. You know, we had today, uh, literally in the space of, well, 15, 20 minutes, there were tweets. First, there were tweets saying that, yeah, he made up his mind. Is he going to go to the Gold Coast? Then a tweet, you know, as I said, 15, 20 minutes later, saying, right, he slept on it, now he's going to stay at the Broncos. He's apparently told Anthony Seabold he wants to stay at the Broncos. Obviously, to do so, I think he's going to be forfeiting something like three hundred fifty dollars or $400,000. I think the Titans offer at the moment is at $1.1 million a season, which is a lot of money for a, you know, essentially still for a kid, even though as talented as he is. Where, where is he? I mean, presuming he hasn't made up his mind at the moment, Tom, you know, where, where does he fit in best? Is he better off staying with the Broncos who, I guess, potentially on face value may not improve sort of rapidly? Or do you go to a Titan side that, I guess, are in a similar boat, but seem to be going through, I guess, maybe a better rebuild, if that's if that's the right term to use at the moment? Yeah, obviously, it's, it's an interesting one. I, I think he'll... My gut tells me he'll stay at the Broncos despite the money. The weirdest claim that came out today was that uh, he had told the club he wanted to... <laughs> go to the Titans for one year on a loan deal for a million dollars and then come back for a long-term, uh, for a long-term contract at Brisbane. I cannot see the Titans going into that because that just has absolutely no benefit to them. I think that for Dave Fafita and for Brisbane, they need to get this situation sorted and they probably need to get sorted this week uh, because it's starting to have a little bit of an effect, I think. Probably some of the Broncos players are maybe a little bit glad it's happening just to distract from their on-field performances, but I think... David Fafita is the sort of player that will thrive long-term under a solid system like the Broncos. It's such a risk going to the Titans. It, it could pay off. It could be you know, one of the great moves playing under Mal there. But I think, yeah, as I said, my gut tells me he'll stay at Brisbane. All right, so Tessie Nguyen, obviously we know he's, he's re-signed at the Broncos. He's currently playing fullback for them. So what do you make of Nguyen's re-signing for one year only, in, in particular, Tom, and... How do you think he's gone a fullback so far since he's made the move there? Yeah, I don't think he's been too bad at fullback. Obviously, he's probably struggling under what is a really uh, dire situation for Brisbane. Yeah, I don't think any of their players you can really say are thriving at the moment. But yeah, he's he's been a shining light for them. You know, he's sparked them in attack at times, and that's all you can really ask of him at fullback. And I think 
that a one-year deal isn't a, isn't a bad option for where Brisbane are at the moment. Obviously, it gives them a little bit of flexibility come next year. A little bit risky as well. Obviously, you know, some clubs would want to lock him down, but the one-year contract gives uh, Tessie New a chance to really prove himself to the Brisbane system and, you know, something that's going in Brisbane's favour, you know, we spoke about it then with David Feeder, is that being such a powerhouse club, you know, that success probably isn't going to be too far away. So, you know, they pretty much hold the power in this one, Brisbane, and they can say to Tessie New, if you want to stay here at this great club, well, you better play well next year or otherwise we won't be offering you a contract again. Yeah, I, thought it was, I think he's been pretty good since he moves to fullback. I mean, I think playing playing hooker or, or I guess playing as that interchange utility probably didn't suit him too well, but yeah, he's looked good since he got to the back. And I guess now, given the whole uncertainty about his Sarko, the spot is essentially in the use to lose. So just a question of whether he can be consistent and sort of you know help the Broncos side to get, get some wins on the board, basically. Yeah, I mean, what a great opportunity for a young kid coming in to really... You know, cement his place if Brisbane, you know, they're a team that could win a few games here and then just go on an absolute run. And if they do, with Dave Fafita back, you know, Tessie New could really cement his spot in that lineup for the long term. Yeah, it'd be interesting, interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, the last bit we'll touch on, Craig Bellamy has come out and said that 2021 might be his last year of coaching, which obviously, you know, I mean, he's been at the Storm for... What, last two thousand, you know, 15, 16 years or something, whatever it is, obviously seen plenty of players come and go, plenty of, well, arguably, you know, three of the greatest ever to that, that have come and gone. He's won premierships, he's been there, done that. Would it surprise you if he went, if he made that call to not be a coach and move to a sort of part-time consultancy role, Tom? No, I probably wouldn't, uh, wouldn't surprise me very much, obviously. 60 years old now, Craig, and, you know, what a career it's been, so... Let's have a look at the stats here. You know, over 420 games at almost 70% winning percentage. That's just, you know, ridiculous. And obviously, he's been blessed with some, you know, pretty amazing players. But at the same time, uh, you know, you can't understate the role he's had in bringing and keeping those players at the club for, you know, the, as you said, the best part of 15 years. I think that, as you sort of alluded to there, Craig Bellamy won't ever be lost to this game entirely. I think that whether he's in a, a you know, director of football, I think we spoke about a few weeks ago, or you know, even in sort of a coaching mentoring role there, um, I think Melbourne will be pretty keen to retain him, and there'll be a few other clubs probably sniffing around. Um, I think Brisbane will definitely be one of them as well, uh, just trying to get get him in there and really fix up their systems. And you know, we could see him create the next powerhouse somewhere else. It's very true. I mean, look, it's probably worth mentioning with Bellamy too. I mean. I guess for the younger generation, they probably only see Bellamy as the coach, but, you know, Bellamy was the player at the Raiders for, you know, a good chunk of the 80s and early night and early to mid-90s, won two premierships with them. Obviously, the when, when, when you know, when the Raiders were that powerhouse side. So, I mean, he certainly had one hell of a rugby league career, hasn't he? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think, well, he probably won't go down as an immortal unless they expand that to coaching. He's definitely someone they'll be looking for in that that Hall of Fame role. Yeah, I mean, and look, he wouldn't look out of place there. I mean, everything he's done in the game, and obviously, still more to come in the game. You know, regardless of what role he has. So, you know, all the accolades that he's that he's gotten, it's you know certainly, obviously, you know, yeah, good players around him, but you know, a coach often makes the players. So it's just a testament to him to having been around for so long and seeing all these players come and go, and and you know, it, it would be, it would certainly be very unusual to see him outside of a head coaching position. 
come presuming it does happen come the end of 2021 all right well as usual every second week here on take the two we have tim williams from sc playbook who at the moment is flying when it comes to super coach certainly in was 52nd place wasn't it tim and welcome once again cheers boys yeah into 59 so it's been a good start right. to the year we're sort of getting towards the middle of the year so hopefully i can hold on a little bit but uh my hopes aren't too high things can change pretty quick as we know it's very true but we'll kick it off with a uh, with bradman best tim now obviously we know he had that you know those first two three weeks he was flying i guess you know the last three to four weeks probably haven't been as great is that just down to, I guess, a lack of ball and obviously O'Brien's directive to have Ponga roam rather than sort of focus on that left edge and is best a guy that people need to sell now or or can they milk any more money out of him? Look, it's a really good question. And to be honest, I'm on the fence a little bit. He, It's absolutely a direct result of Caelan Ponga favouring the right edge. I mean, I think we've spoken about it a couple of times already, definitely last podcast. And I, I don't know why they're doing that. I think they're Definitely defence orientated at the moment. They're focusing on that. You know, the whole defence wins premierships motto. Um, but Best is just suffering big time. He's not getting any ball in attacking opportunities. So he's still got a base of 40, which is like, it'd be the top two or three in Supercoach for a centre wing, which is unbelievable. So I'm tempted to hold. But I mean, if KP stays on that right edge, I mean, I'm just not sure where the attack comes from. And Mitchie Pierce sort of tends to favour that right edge, oh, right, right edge a little bit as well. Um, it, it, it is tough. So I'm I'm probably going to hold just because of his base, but look, he's got a break even of 82, so it does look like he'll start losing money. You know, this, the, the, the Knights have the Eels and Rabbitohs over the next two weeks. Um, it, it's tough. Yeah, certainly. Look, hasn't looked, I guess, hasn't looked good for him with no sort of, no base stats. And I've obviously seen him as a guy that can just produce base stats at will. Is it the same for guys like, I mean, obviously we know Eli Katoa is currently out at the moment and, you know, seemingly a couple of weeks away. Even Tanoa Brown as well at the Warriors. Are these the sort of guys that you need to start getting out now while while they're sort of still making money, Tim? Tanoa Brown, definitely. He, um, he's got a break even of 56, so he's he's made a heap of money. He's made about 200K, but he, he's going to start leaking cash. I think he might have already leaked a little bit already. Um, So he'd be one I'd be moving on. And, and there's heaps of options in the front row at the moment. You know, there's... There's no standouts outside of Payne House, but guys like David Clammer, Clemmer, you know, Daniel Saifidi, Mo Fodawaka, um, lots of good buyers there. Elias Katoa is a funny one. I mean, he's a guy you probably should have gotten rid of two or three weeks ago when he got injured. If you've still got him now, you know, you could, you could argue maybe he's a hold, but I mean, I think he's an upgrade as well. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I guess, look, Katoa, when he wasn't injured, and, and Tanul Brown, you know, they've looked pretty good for for the Warriors, but yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, comes a point where you've got to sell those cheapies. Uh, you know, is, is there only one player that you sort of have your eye on, Tim, that you think can make an impact to people's sides? Obviously, as Tom touched on, we know you had you had Daniel Tupo in your sides, so obviously with uh, with his syndesmosis injury, he's out for at least six weeks. Does that bring, does that make Ryan Hall, for example, a, a good buy for the next six weeks? I think it does. I, I, I quite like Hall as a super coach player. He has quite a good base. He runs a lot. Um, you know, Tupu's out for a long period, so he's got a good crack there. I'm not sure if he if he's going to play on the left or right wing. There's a bit of talk that um, BMOS will go over onto the left outside Josh Morris, which uh, the Roosters do tend to favour and attack, particularly with Cleary favouring that left edge. Um, but, I, yeah, I think Ryan Hall's a really good one. To be honest, I'm looking hard at all Roosters players. There aren't many in there who are who are high, own, uh, yeah, high ownership players. So, I mean, Angus Crichton will be pretty popular this week, but he's not owned by a lot. Um, with the draw that the Roosters have coming up, it's probably the best Supercoach draw over the next five weeks. Um, I'm looking at them. You know, guys like Luke Keary, 
Kyle Flanagan's going to be kicking goals over this period. So I can see the Roosters putting on three or four scores of sort of 40-plus, um, and they can all go massive in that period. Anything super coach-wise you want to talk about, Tom? Yeah, it's going to, you know, been a, cu- a tough couple of weeks now, but I'm interested, Tim, what do you think about Bo Fomora at the Titans? Obviously, to me, he appears as a little bit of a trap, but, you know, being traded in by something like 10,000 super coaches this week, do you see him as a trap, or do you think he's potentially a, a bit of a cash-generating option um, as a downgrade? Look, he's definitely a cash-generating option, but I just don't see why people are doing it this week. We know how volatile that Titans squad is at the moment. There's just... Anything that the squad changes every week, whether it be through injury or form or whatever's going on. And, and we've seen, I think he's been named at centre this week as well. Um, Kevin Proctor's got to come back into that team in the second row. There's a couple of other guys who are out injured. Um, so I just, I think he'd be a, a tremendous buy next week at the price and he makes could make a lot of money. But I just don't see why you'd go a week early. Unless the only way I could see that you'd need to do it is if freeing up cash to him allows you to get James Tedesco. Yeah, yeah, very true. Do you think that it's now starting to get to the point where it's a little bit too late for people to keep bringing in uh, playing cheapies over enough? Look, it all depends on how your side is set up. If you've got a heap of cash generation going on on your bench, then definitely you can look at NUFs. Um, If you're a side who's had a lot of injuries and you have a lot of non-players in your reserves, I know we've got a lot of trades to work with this season and we're not really going going to run out, but... You know, you're seeing teams struggle to field 17 quality players at the moment already. So I, I don't think you want to be risking that too much. So I wouldn't be looking at – I don't think you'd want to be having any more than two nuffs in your team at the moment. I still think it is important to make that cash. But, yeah, de- definitely time to start looking. What about the – obviously, the Dragons this week's team. They Obviously, they've named Benny Hunt to start at hooker and Cam McInnes at lock. Now, obviously, we know that – obviously, McInnes had a better week super coach wise last week compared to the week before. Is McInnes, presuming he plays the 80 minutes, is he a guy that people should look look to be getting into their side? Absolutely is, yeah. Cameron McInnes, I got him in uh, one or two weeks ago now, and uh, he's right up there with the elite second rowers, just with his work rate there. I like the move to lock for him because, I mean, A, it means he's going to be running the ball more. B, he's going to lose. He won't lose as much um, energy on the field chasing ruck after ruck to get to dummy half to, to play and direct the play. The only worry about it is that the Dragons have named four forwards on the bench with Merrin, Kerr, Fui Maiono, and Jackson Ford. So there's a small chance that he does get a, a bit of a spell at some stage due to his high work rate. I don't think it will happen, but it is something to be aware of. Yeah, I mean, certainly his, his output has been fantastic. I mean, just on just continuing the vein of hookers as well, Tom, obviously, you know, Harry Grant's been firing. Abbey Coruscant had probably had his best week in quite some time. Do people still need to be aiming for the likes of Damian Cook or Cameron Smith or uh, Coruscant and Grant keepers until the end? I think it's an interesting one. Obviously, Coruscant got that, that nice little junk time. Oh, I guess it was still pretty close, but late, late uh, try assist last week to boost him up to 81. But, I mean, Harry Grant's now starting to look like the premier option. I, I'm sort of leaning towards Harry Grant being the number one and then number two, Coruscant Smith is a bit of a toss-up. Um, what are your thoughts, Tim? It's it's a really interesting position this year, and I didn't think it was going to be. I thought at the start of the year it'd be, you know, you'd be trying to get Cook and Smith as quick as you could. Um, we sort of thought Harry Grant would be uh, available at some point playing NRL, and he sort of exceeded all our expectations in terms of super coach. Um, look, I traded Appy a few weeks ago reluctantly to Harry Grant before that major price rise, but if you've got Appy in your team, there's no reason to trade. If you've got Grant in your team, there's no reason to trade. Um, they're arguably out, well, they're definitely outperforming Damian Cook at the moment. And Cam Smith, you know, I mean, you could argue he's probably the number one hooker, but 
he looks like he's playing the halves a little bit now while Cam Munster's out, who's only a week or two away anyway. But Cam Smith, I think he made 22 tackles last week, which would be the lowest just about of his entire career when he was playing halfback. So, I mean, unless there's injuries, it's it's a very sideways trade to trade between these guys. So it's, yeah, it, it is it is a tough one. It's an interesting one as well. Do you still own Blake Braley, Tim? I do still own Blake Braley. And I hadn't played him since about round two or something. Um, and he was pretty underwhelming as a super great player, averaging like late 30s to early 40s. Uh, played him two weeks ago and he got 80-odd for me and looked really good. And then I played him on the weekend as well. Weekend was my choice. The week before was just because of injuries. And he, um, he, he got mid-80s on the weekend. He updated to 122 at one stage over the weekend, which dropped back down pretty quickly. I don't know where those unicorn points came from. But, um, but now we're looking at Blake Braley, Blake Braley, who's going to be over 500K with a bit of luck in a couple of weeks and can go straight to any of those guys we spoke about. Had the unicorn points. James Tedesco has certainly enjoyed some of those this past week, didn't he? Mate, I had the C on him. How good was that? <laughs> yeah, <the> same. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess just to wrap it up, Tim, is there any sort of any one player we probably haven't mentioned here that you reckon is worth keeping an eye on over the next couple of weeks? Uh, it's a tough one, mate. There's there's a lot of good options out there, and and we spoke a little bit about it off air. That you know, it, it's hard finding the pods at the moment. Um, because And when we expected it to happen, with the no-origin period and the no-buy planning and that sort of thing, teams have taken shape a lot quicker, um, even though there has been the injuries. So, mate, I, I really I don't, probably don't have too many off the top of my head. I mean, the, the Parramatta guys like Gutho and Sevo, they're really popular picks this week. Um, but I'm just, I think I'll be honing in on those Roosters plays with that draw. Um, even like, I mean, Josh Morris has gone massive two of the last three weeks. And, um, yeah, I, I think I'll be, I'll be cashing in there. Yeah, I guess certainly we've just got to keep an eye out on how they'll go and you never know, maybe a pot or two appears. But appreciate your time as always, Tim, and we'll catch you in a fortnight. No worries, boys. Thanks for having me. All right, well, that just about wraps things up for the Take the Two podcast. Certainly plenty of games to look forward to in round nine. Best of luck to all, all your teams, and we'll catch you next week, Tom. Thanks, guys. See you later.